Welcome to our podcast series on the sugar science. I'm speaking today with uh, Dr. Darlene Sandoval. She recently moved from University of Michigan to University of Colorado, where her appointment, her primary appointment is in the Department of Pediatrics. Her secondary appointment is in the Division of Endocrinology, where her laboratory actually is. And we're super excited to talk to her today uh, about her paper, updating the role of alpha cell preproglucagon products on GLP-1 receptor-mediated insulin secretion, because what she's talking about there is how the actual paradigm uh, has changed. Textbooks are going to be taking note and changing how they're presenting the information to um, young scientists and others in, you know, who are learning about this field. So welcome, Darlene. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. This, uh, this podcast is, I, I had not known about it until the invitation, and I looked through it, and you've had some great speakers on. Oh, um, thanks. I, re I really like the effort. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks. And you're one of them, because this paper was <laughs> shouted out, as I said earlier, it was shouted out by uh, Dan Drucker. Uh, and when he said, when he, when he tweets something, you know, people take a look at it. So um, this is a really interesting um, paper. And, and could you kind of set the stage um, about sort of the old paradigm and, and, and then we'll talk about how, how uh, your, your work has changed things. Yeah, so um, so this this paper that you're referring to is a perspectives article, and so the reason that I wrote it was because we had had a body of literature that was challenging some dogma, and then three papers came out all in the same year um, that also challenged the dogma even further. And and what what it is about the, the dogma, <laughs> what it's about is really about intestinal production of a peptide called glucagon-like peptide 1 or GLP-1 and then alpha cell production of glucagon so alpha cells are a type of cell in the pancreas right so um, I know most of your listeners are type 1 diabetics and probably focus more on the beta cell and its uh, production of insulin um, but the alpha cell is really important for regulating the beta cell. So there's a lot of crosstalk between those two cell populations that are really important for, for physiology. And in so, fact, they're connected by gap junctions. Isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. In the um, islet, yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're connected physically, but then also there are lots of chemicals that are also going back and forth and binding to receptors and regulating function. Um, so um my work uh probably since i've been a faculty member my work has focused on glp1 and the dogma about how it works is that you eat a meal like i just had lunch and so my plasma glp1 levels are really high and that's because my intestine has these specialized cells that are secreting glp1 and what GLP-1 does, um, or at least what the dogma said that it did, is that it acts as a hormone and it um, regulates um, you, how full you feel. So it actually tells the brain there's nutrients here, we don't need to eat more. And then it also tells the pancreas to secrete insulin. And so um, it, it's, it's called an incretin, so a gut peptide that regulates insulin secretion. And so um, the reason that, that we started to challenge this dogma is because 
there were a lot of data that really suggested GLP-1 was not a hormone. For, for a peptide to be a hormone, it needs to actually stay in the circulation long enough to be able to travel to a distant organ and bind to a receptor and elicit its effects. Yeah. But GLP-1 only lasts in the plasma for about 90 seconds. Um, so it's rapidly degraded. Um, and then whatever isn't degraded, in fact, it's rapidly degraded as soon as it hits the bloodstream, um, maybe even before it hits the bloodstream. And then whatever isn't degraded is cleared by the liver. Mm. And so this idea that it could get secreted from the intestine and then, you know, go to the heart and come back down and go to the pancreas just seems unlikely, right? Um, and then there was some in vitro data that suggested that, um, actually, let me step back even further. The cells that make GLP-1 in the intestine are located, the, 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 the highest number of cells are located far down into the intestinal tract. These are, um, the, or these are the en uh, enteroendocrine L cells, right? Exactly, exactly. So the, the, there are a higher number. Okay, good. Okay, so there are a higher number of L cells in the distal gut, so the ileum. And so GLP-1 reaches the circulation or goes up in the circulation before nutrients reach that area of the intestine. Hmm. And so that was another sort of dogma. There, there have been some data to try to explain why that happens, but, um, but that was one big question. And then the other question was that if you study um, islets, so if you take um, pancreas cells out and study them in a dish, the receptor for GLP-1 had some basal activity, even though theoretically there wasn't uh, GLP-1 there. Yeah. Um, and so that was a curious finding that was also sort of on the tip of our brains, right? That was kind of disconnected. So anyway, we've been doing a lot of work trying to understand how the system works. So um, early on in my career, I had done some studies where we put GLP-1 into the brain and we could suppress the amount of glucose that your liver produced. And we could also increase insulin secretion. And this was in mice? That uh, rats actually. Rats. Okay. Um, and so we thought maybe that was how the system was working was that it was actually um, brain uh, derived GOP1 that was driving the system. Right. Um, and then um, and then we thought, but but still we don't understand. It, it can't be intestinal GOP1 that's activating those brain receptors. So what is intestinal GOP1 doing? And so we did some studies where, and this we switched to mouse. Um, so that we could uh, remove the receptor in very tissue-specific fashion. And so we took the receptor out of nerves that innervate the, the liver and the gut. So basically the vagal GLP-1 receptors, we took those out. And that animal had completely normal physiology. They had normal body weight, they had normal glucose tolerance, even when we put them on a high-fat diet. And so, um, which in animal models very readily, um, you know, no matter what you think about ketone, ketogenic diets, et cetera, but in animal models, we can put them on a high fat diet and they will get fat and glucose intolerant very easily. And what kind of mouse was this? Was it a specific strain? 
Um, so, so these are a cross, and it, it so it has a mixed background, and it's a it, so this is the Crelox P technology, yeah, it, right. Mm -hmm. So you're able to 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 knock receptors out in a tissue specific fashion with this technology, and so that that's what we did. So we used a Fox two B Cree and a geopumer separate Fox animal to do this. Cool. Um, but again, that animal had normal normal physiology. And so the potential, you know, our idea was that intestinal GLP-1 could activate those vagal GLP-1 receptors either within the gut or in the portal vein, and that that could then activate the CNS system. So that hypothesis was kind of thrown out the window. When, um, so we had another mouse model that we were building, and this one was a more broadly targeted um, model. So um, one of the problems, I think one of the reasons the dogma has persisted about GLP-1 physiology is that it's, it's very complicated. So it's coded by a gene called preproglucagon, and preproglucagon is expressed in the gut, but it's also expressed in the brain, and it's expressed in the pancreas. In the brain, it also um, is thought to uh, make GLP-1 a couple of other prepoglucagon peptides as well, but in the pancreas, it's thought to make predominantly glucagon. Hmm. And so, um, so it's, it's like contextual. Yeah. So normally, if you want to know, you know, the function of a gene, you just knock it out, right? But here, when you knock out prepoglucagon, you're knocking out a bunch of different peptides, not just GLP-1. And so I think that was part of the part of the persistence of the dogma. But we decided to do an experiment where um, you know, we had built a whole bunch of these mouse models. And the, the first one that kind of came off the assembly line was um, what we call a preproglucagon stop flux animal. Okay. And so um, you know, it's, it's using that Crelox P technology again. But in this case, what we're doing is reactivating the endogenous gene in a tissue-specific fashion. Got it. More so we have much more specific. You're kind of tuning it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so what we did is we reactivated. The first one we did was a reactivation of preproglucagon in the intestine. And so there's no preproglucagon in the brain or the pancreas, and we're just looking at the phenotype. I think the the first shouldn't have been surprised. Well, let me let me step back and just say so we 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 did an experiment. Again, so we were targeting preproglucagon, but what we're interested in is the um, the impact of GLP-1, right? But I've just right. told you that we've we've hit other peptides as well, and so we were trying to figure out um, a couple of different questions. And the first question was, um, you know, we wanted to look specifically at GLP-1 receptor action. And so there's a drug, Exenin 9 to 39, that is a very specific GLP-1 receptor antagonist. And so what we thought is that we could give these intestinal reactivated animals, Exenin 9 to 39, and it would tell us whether this source of GLP-1 is important for regulating glucose tolerance. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so we do the experiment, we give them exenonine, and there was no response whatsoever. Uh -huh. So they had completely normal plasma GLP-1 levels, um, normal responses to nutrients, um, 
And when we give them exenamide, nothing happened. Their glucose tolerance was completely normal. Their basal glucose no levels were completely normal. And so we were pretty perplexed by that yeah. finding. Um, we did it a bunch of different times, and now we've done it like across many different technicians and postdocs' hands. It's a very repeatable finding. Um, so what we um, what we then did, um, we were happened to be breeding up a cohort of animals that um, would reactivate preproglucagon in the pancreas. And, and so we're like, okay, well, we'll just repeat some of these phenotyping experiments that we did. Um, and, um, and so we gave, so we, we figured um, we would give um, exenonine in these guys and nothing would happen as well, right? And so, yeah. but we gave, we gave exenonine to 39 to these animals who don't have normal plasma geopoietin levels. So their levels in a chow-fed animal is about half that of a, of a, a normal a wild-type animal. And instead, we got the full extent of the impact of exenonine on impairing glucose tolerance. Wow. And, and so, um, you know, I remember looking at this data and, and at the, the first pass, I was just like, okay. And then the second pass, I, I wait, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and again, that was a finding that was repeatable across many different cohorts and many different people's hands. Um, and actually multiple institutions now as well. Um, and so what we hypothesized was going on was that um, our idea that the intestinal GLP-1, um, that it wasn't a regulator of glucose homeostasis, it, that this data fits that, right? It really questions the role of intestinal GLP-1 in regulating glucose homeostasis, but also um, brings to light this possibility that GLP-1 produced in the pancreas is actually the source of GLP-1 that matters for regulating um, glucose tolerance. And then, so then the alpha cell was the next yeah. place Ex to go. Yeah. And is, so, that, is that where you guys went? Yeah, so that, that um, th well, so this is where the story starts to go towards glucagon, and these are, um, the, these, so this was the reason for that, um, that perspectives article that I wrote, was because three papers came out um, a year or two later in the same year that all suggested that glucagon could regulate insulin secretion in vivo settings, also some ex vivo settings as well, um, by acting on the GLP-1 receptor. Yeah. And so, so like that- a, It was like accumulation of, you know, almost like a tsunami of paper yeah. on these, on what was, what, what, what people were seeing, which was not fitting the paradigm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think we're still trying to understand, um, I mean, we, we've done some experiments now um, to follow up on trying to understand what the heck the function is of intestinal GLP-1. Um, we've, we've done some pharmacological studies. We've done some studies with um, bariatric surgery. So bariatric surgery is um, a surgery to, surgeries that restructure the GI tract and induce weight loss. And uh, multiple of 
different types of them also increase drastically plasma levels of GLP-1. And this is whether you're talking about animals or patients. Um, in fact, probably about eight to tenfold higher um, in patients and in animals. And so we thought, well, here's the situation where we have all this GLP-1. Um, we looked to see whether the, the source of GLP-1 during surgery was coming from the intestine or the pancreas. The majority of it, if not all of it, is coming from the intestine. And so here we have drastically increased intestinal GLP-1 in the circulation. Can we now uh, drive an increase in um, can does that source does that extent of that increase now lead to um, regulation of glucose tolerance? And even under that circumstance, we did not see an impact on glucose tolerance. So we gave exenanine, and those animals didn't respond at all. So, I mean, these are these are all really interesting pieces of the puzzle, and it's going to be so cool to see it all come together when uh, to create this new understanding. Um, I do, I wonder what your thoughts are on this whole, you know, we talked about the fact that this is not, um, that, uh, GLP-1 cannot be a hormone per se, because it only lasts so short, you know, it's, it's, it's half-life is so short and it's can't really go the distance like a normal hormone would, et cetera. But there's a really cool paper by these two guys, um, in molecular metabolism 2016, Frederick Backhead and Thomas Grenier. These guys are like out of, uh, it looks like they're out of um, Denmark, microbial regulation of GLP-1 and L-cell biology. I mean, what are your thoughts about the fact that GLP-1 in the intestine could just be a local signal for the microbia? I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how the microbia is, is interacting in the gut, yeah. interacting with the, you know, the metabolism and pancreatic insulin secretion, et cetera. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think that um, there is definitely room for GOP-1 to have local effects. Um, I don't know how, I mean, I, I, I know Frederick real well, and I think he actually used, um, even used the Crelox P, like used some of those GLP-1 receptor flux animals that I mentioned before in that particular study. And yeah. it does seem that, at least in those models, that it can regulate that, the, the microbial population. Um, Maybe it's just minding its own business over there in that local environment. Exactly, exactly. The other, um, the other role for GLP-1 that I think is pretty clear, and, and Dan Drucker has done a bit of work on this as well um, in his own lab and in his collaborations, that it can regulate the local immune function, which also does, you know, that also links to the microbial populations and, and function as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it could definitely have a local immune function um, and potentially regulating the microbiome as well. I'm still a little on the fence on the role of the microbiome. Um, there's so much we don't know about it. Yeah. Um, and the models, um, at least in terms of regulating body weight and glucose homeostasis, the, the models are pretty complicated. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. There's a but lot. But it's of fascinating, left. right? But yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it is fascinating. I mean, isn't it? You know, the whole like you know, uh, 
fatty acid, the long and medium fat chain, mm -hmm. um, fatty acid sensed by the L cells and all this, the release of GLP-1 and the, the whole, that it's, it's a whole world, basically. <clears throat> it's a separate world that needs to be fully fleshed out. But um, it is interesting. And then, so let's just talk about what, you know, I mean, so you did some very, very um, careful studies. You know, you went back again and in different hands and, and verified your findings. And so now what's next? What's next for you guys in the laboratory now that you've kind of really are, are adding towards rewriting the, the textbooks? Yeah, so I think one of the things, there are a couple of things we have to do that we're working on, and that is trying to distinguish between the role of GLP-1 and the role of glucagon on regulating GLP-1 receptor-mediated insulin secretion and trying to understand how that system works. Um, what there, there are data out there suggesting that there is a heterogeneity. Um, there have been a lot of data focused on heterogeneity beta cells, but there are now data coming out that the alpha cells are also um, have that variability in at least some of their genetic um, components. And so what we're wondering is whether there is, um, and, and the data, at least some of the poster presentations that I've seen hint to this as well, that there are, um, there are alpha cells that make predominantly glucagon, there are alpha cells that make predominantly GLP-1, and there are alpha cells that make both. And, um, and so I think there is room for both peptides to regulate insulin secretion and trying to figure out um, how the physiology really works and then and then not just that but then like how do we target it pharmacologically to actually um, you know make a difference um, for treatments um, so are, are people treatments. seeing like you know using like rna seq or something that um these alpha cells identities change over time or like once a glucagon secretor that's all you do I'm not sure that they, so like you, you're talking about looking at the lineage sort of. Or, yeah, like, yeah, like right. once there, is their identity just, hey, yeah. that's what I do? Or is it, does it change over a timeline? Yeah, um, I don't, health I don't. Disease? Think, I mean, is anybody looking at that that you know? I am sure they are because they're definitely looking at that in terms of beta cells. And there's a little bit of controversy actually about whether the beta cells change or not. I think there definitely is a camp that says that they do and a camp that is questioning that. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the work that has been done to show this heterogeneity in just alpha cell populations has focused on, on the single cell RNA-seq strategy, right? Where yep. you're looking at the genetic components of an individual cell and, and combining it across all the cells that you look at. Um, Yeah, but it's, it's, it, it, I think there's a lot, lot to learn from that. And I think also, you know, even when you think about these alpha cells that produce both GLP-1 and glucagon, how the heck are they regulated? What signals are they paying attention to, to decide whether the alpha cell produces glucagon or GLP-1, or are they secreting both of them? Um, so I, I think Like a backup all, singer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We do have some data where we have, um, what we did was we took our intestinal reactivated animals and we gave them glucagon 
and then gave them exenonine. And the idea was that if glucagon is mediating the, or lack thereof, um, or mediating the effect of the, what we see with the pancreatic reactivated animals, because when we reactivate in the pancreas, we're reactivating preproglucagon, which means yeah. we're reactivating both GLP-1 and both glucagon. And so what we did was we took the intestinal reactivated animals that don't make um, glucagon, we gave them back the glucagon and then gave exenonine to see if we could restore the ability of exenonine. Yeah. Um, and it only partially restored the effect. Hmm. So that really tells us that it is both peptides that are important for regulating insulin secretion under that circumstance. Yeah. Um, we, we are going to try to do some experiments where we can virally manipulate just GLP-1 production and not glucagon. Oh, that's um, interesting. And, yeah, and then, and then do some studies there. So those, those are, are in progress. Well, that's, that's going to be very interesting to see what comes of those. We'll definitely keep our eye on it. What, um, and how about your new laboratory? Do you have um, students? Are you looking for uh, postdocs? Or how are, how, how's that, that all coming together? Yeah, so we'll definitely be growing over the next year or two, I, I think. Um, right now, I have, um, I have a research assistant professor who moved with me from Michigan. He was a postdoc there and now he's he's moving up a little bit he's um, working on some grant funding so very excited and then I have two postdoctoral fellows that moved here to work with me um, and just hired a technician to handle all the mouse colonies still looking for a good technician for doing surgeries so if there's anybody out there who has some surgical skills and are interested yeah exactly and then I think over the next two uh, years we'll be um, potentially adding more technical support but also some graduate students and and uh, maybe another postdoc or two yeah. Well, you just got yeah. there. So yeah, that's, yeah. It seems like you're pretty up and running. So that's fantastic despite COVID. Yeah. Um, well, thank you again for speaking with us. Uh, this is a fascinating area and um, I know you have your eye focused on type two and the alpha cell, but I, I think that this uh, field has a lot of um, information for the type one diabetes field as well. I Absolutely. Anytime you can learn anything about pancreas function, I think it could apply, right? To type both three. type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, best of luck. Enjoy Colorado. And thank you again for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me.